Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. This is Lloyd, your bay with the dank swag, sliding into your DMS. See, they love it. They think I'm one of them. I'm one of you. Where is my rescue mission? What is wrong with these voodoo pustules? This confounded Jacqueline is the emotional equivalent of a two-legged rabies-infested dingo with Parkinson's. I am not a dog person, even on my best day. I have a meeting with a government official on Tuesday. I'm going to dangle some interesting strategies in front of him and see if I can't get some funding and resources. My new plan is, if that Jacqueline twit can't deliver, I'm going to build myself a plane and fly there myself. Or hire someone to fly there to deliver a message telling them where to find me. Ah, yes. That's why the mess. Yes, it is a lot of blood. You can't build a flesh suit without spilling a few drops. No, I didn't murder them all. I didn't have to. We're in a war zone. Bomb. Took out a whole book group. Yes, I need all the bodies because they're all in various states of disrepair. I'm sewing together the suit from bits and pieces of each one. I'll have maybe at least two, three entire suits. I definitely have a leg shortage, but legs I don't need to cover. I just wear boots. The bigger issue is I'm shorter than normal in this cursed body, and these people's skins are just going to droop. That's going to look odd. I can sew it all tighter, but really, you don't want too many stitches and hems. I can get away with a bit of scarring here and there. This is a war, after all, but one simply can't go full Frankenstein. It's too noticeable. Plus... You need to contain the rot, and the smell from the rot, yes. Problems, problems. Plasticize the skin, that's the trick. Yes, that's why the chemistry set is here. It needs to be real skin, this idiotic narrative is too primitive to have high-tech solutions. I can't realistically replicate skin, so I need real skin, but I need it plasticized. No, I don't know how to do it. What do you think I do with my time? Read, Harry, I never bothered to develop a coherent system of magic potter? Ah, yes, you heard what I said. No, it's not the worst explained magic system. This feces-ridden narrative is the worst. La-dee-da, fairies, do whatever I feel like them doing. Good God, how do these narratives hold together longer than it takes to read a chapter while sitting on the toilet? Anyway, chemistry and tailoring bodysuits, that's my pastime. No pleasant evenings in front of the fire for me. I sit in pools of blood-sewing flesh suits and trying to plasticize flesh. At the rate this traffic accident of a timeline is progressing, it won't get to any kind of biotechnology worth speaking about for another hundred years, and I'm not going to last ten years, much less a hundred. Well, thank you. I'm glad you've noticed I am somewhat adept at carving up bodies. But I have had practice. 
Y you know, I, I was not born doing macabre things. I had to learn under fire. Well, yes, the death cult. Well, I was young. Involved with my theater troupe. Involved with Matt. Ah, oh, sweet Matt. My sexy boy. Well, obviously, I was oblivious to the fact that some extra-dimensional post-human morons had built themselves a paradise that turned out to be an eternal prison and needed someone to rescue them, so they sicked a death cult on me hoping it would flower me, despite none of their attempts to flower anyone else ever having worked. I mean, who exactly is going about their life taking extra precautions just in case that sort of thing would happen to them? And the death cult certainly didn't know they were just supposed to scare me. They thought murdering me would help bring about the earthly incarnation of some moronic deity of theirs. How did I first find out about them? Well, they tried to murder me, obviously. I was coming home from theater rehearsal. That was the key thing that saved me and doomed them. That one detail and everything would have gone differently and I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be truly dead, which, come to think of it, might be the happier ending. Oh, it's gallows humor. Don't worry. I'm going to outlast all these voodoo pus-filled penises. See, in college, I had taken fencing, and it turned out I was quite good at it. It is good sport for someone who favors cold strategy over emotional outbursts, but can force your opponent into emotional outbursts. I won competitions. I had several trophies. By the time I was out of college and working at the ad agency by day, doing theater at night, still with scrumptious Matt, my little hunk of dessert, and one of the many jobs I did with the theater troupe was to choreograph and teach fight choreography. Lots of sword fighting in theater shows, and they always need a good fight choreographer to design and teach those sword fights. So I actually had my saber on me. My saber was not a theater prop. It was the real thing. I had been teaching a particularly demanding bit of swordplay that evening, so not only did I have my saber, I was warmed up. Pure chance. That was the night they first accosted me, just outside the theater. They had followed me and waited until I emerged alone. Then one of those crazed acid casualties jumped me, dagger in hand, and attempted to carve me into a spring equinox ham. My response was pure fright and adrenaline, but here's the thing about crazed cult loonies who have taken way too much acid for their own good. They're good at the crazed part, and if they actually get a chance to stab you, they're, they're very good at the manic blood spurting. But A, they are not the brightest bulb on the chain, and B, they are not particularly skilled in actual combat. They just assume they can start stabbing out of nowhere and keep stabbing until you're dead. When facing an opponent who actually knows how to counter a knife attack, they're screwed. Remember, children, don't do drugs. It does not effectively help you to eviscerate and gut your murder victim. I was young and unaccustomed to true violence. I, I did kill the maniac, but I was shocked and upset over it. Ah... Such innocence. I freaked out and ran. This is where I made my crucial mistake. I ran to Matt's apartment. I was upset. He helped me calm down and offered me comfort that night. But of course, I had been followed, and now they knew where he lived.
It didn't matter immediately. They came for me twice more, once as I exited my home and again as I exited work. The trouble for them was that I was so freaked out that I carried my saber with me everywhere, so I had it on me. And they had ritual daggers that had to be used to kill their victims, so it was always the same fight. Me versus Maniacal shouldn't spend so many concerts on LSD seeing your favorite stinky hippie band. I'm kidding. We didn't have hippie bands back then. We had real music. String quartets! Ha! There's music for you. Not like this rockety, hoppity, gloppity they have now. But yes, we had drug casualties, and these knob-slobbing miscreants were some of them. So, now that I disposed three of their nutbags, they needed to up their game. I, of course, had realized this was a concerted effort, not some random tweedle job, and started acting more intelligently. I stopped going home, and, aware that they must be tracking me, didn't go to Matt's. I got a motel room somewhere in the city and tried to think of what to do. I still went to work. There's no excuse to shirk your responsibilities. At work, waiting for me was a box from the cult with Matt's precious pinky finger in it and instructions where I could find him. I knew it was a trap. Furthermore, despite my tales of sword prowess thus far, I am not some action star from a bitrate moving picture. I cannot walk into a trap set by crazed rave junkies and fight my way through. I had to be smart. They had to come to me. I had to procure supplies. Not easy with a gang of lunatics hunting you at every corner, but I managed. I cancelled rehearsals for the next few days and holed up in the theatre. I had hoped they might conclude I was terrified and was hiding. I had to hope they wouldn't kill Matt, in hopes of him being valuable bait. What I actually did was turn the theater into a death trap. Let's be honest. Most theaters are potential death traps on their best days. Just ask any stage crew. And unlike performers who wouldn't know their way around the backstage if you gave them a map and giant multicolored toddler-level instructions, I was a stage manager. The god of the theater. The director gives the orders, the performers prance about like peacocks, the stage crew does all the actual work, and the stage manager is the one who gets it all done. I turned that theater into a fun house of pain and blood. I left the back door unlocked, hoping those cult jackasses would be stupid enough to just walk in and try to get me en masse. On the second evening, they did. They brought the whole gang into my sweet theater of fun. That was when I learned that the art of bloodshed could be a joyous thing. There were traps at every turn. It was a cacophony of screams with the percussion of breaking bones and the cymbal splashes of blood spurting. I made sure I was visible at all the right moments when they might have been smart enough to give up and flee. And of course, I made sure the route behind them was cut off as soon as possible. Ah, a youngster's first murder house. There's nothing quite like it. All the others will never have quite the same je ne sais quoi. Ah, but poor Matt. Poor darling Matt. My sweet man-treat. Enough of this. We've spent far too long on this. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Bubba's Blood Pudding. If what you crave is disgustingness for breakfast and you have no self-respect, 
blood pudding is for you, and Bubba's blood pudding, because you're already at rock bottom, so why not? And now, episode two of Asha and the Caravan. Asha told her family what she had overheard. Most of them were confused by it, but as soon as she mentioned the rat-bear creatures, her grandmother and the other three from her generation all looked at each other knowingly. They discussed staying out of it. They discussed what getting involved could entail. They all agreed that perhaps they should stop bringing the gnomes the mineral they were obviously hoarding, and which was clearly at the center of their plans. They discussed many things. However, at one point, everyone fell into absolute silence when her grandmother said a single sentence. They already have access to the Hamlet Wheel. Asha didn't understand why this stopped conversation dead. She tried to ask a question, but her father shushed her. We could access it if we traveled on over to Kokota. That takes weeks and the caravans are right above it. Well, the caravans at Kokota are right above it, too. What about the dwarves? They can't just get rid of the dwarves. Can't they? But even if they were to dispose of the dwarves and take control of this narrative's hamlet wheel, wouldn't the other dwarves and the other strands take issue? Can you even dispose of the dwarves? We don't know much about the dwarves, or if they're in contact with their brethren and other strands... We don't know much of anything, and clearly these creatures do. But if they take over this narrative's hamlet wheel, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what kind of power that potential gives them. No one's ever considered anything like this. What if they use the wheel to deconstruct this entire narrative? Or desaturate it? I don't think this narrative matters to them. I think they're thinking metaverse-wide. I think all they want is the wheel, and they'll collapse this entire strand. What they do with it then, we just don't know, but I don't think we can do nothing. It sounds like they're aiming at taking on the Lost Ones, and that requires vision and power on a meta level. We can't fight that. Could the dwarves? A god could. Don't call them gods, they're not gods, they're just conglomerated souls. We'll all be there one day. And we can't reach the Ultra Dimensions... The Ultra Beings don't come down here. Why would they? But the myth of myths are just that, myths. Even if they contain truth, they're still just people interpreting events they can't conceive and putting descriptions on them they can. All right. We need to keep the mineral out of their hands and contact the dwarves. Agreed? They all agreed. Asha, her grandmother, and her uncle Ziri were to secretly make the journey to the dwarves, but they could only do so from the faraway province of Kokota. The journey took three months. However, when they arrived, they found that the Kokotans, of whom they had known precious little, had entered a phase of their society where they were obsessed with building ziggurats. Ziggurats required massive amounts of stone and the caverns had been gutted and all lower caves collapsed. It was impossible to find an open path down to the center. So they returned, defeated, to meet up with the rest of the family. 
They were to meet in the town of Lobasogwa. They waited there three weeks, but the family never came. They decided to continue on, carefully following the route the family would take. Each town they asked in said the family had not been seen in some time. They all had the same fear, and as they marched closer and closer to where they had last seen their family, they knew in their hearts what they would find. Find it they did. The entire family was butchered. The attack must have been quick and ferocious. An entire family of post-humans is a truly formidable adversary. But then again, what the gnomes were, were dangerous too. Likely the attack had been a surprise. The bodies were butchered and rotting away. Three were missing, however. There wasn't too much time for speculation, as three horrific black monsters appeared with the gnomes riding them, and within seconds they attacked Asha, her grandmother, and her uncle. Two things were fortunate. One, Asha was too busy running to see her grandmother and uncle be butchered. Two, instead of running away from the scene as expected, she ran straight into the caverns. This was through no strategy on her part, more blind panic. She still had her spear with her. It wasn't likely to do much good against the black monsters on her heels, but it was something. She ran frantically into the caverns, into the underground city of the gnomes. As she ran by, some gnomes joined in the chase, so that she had not only black monsters, but a sea of little genocidal gnomes chasing her. Her spear was very useful for knocking the gnomes who were in her way out, sweeping them onto the wall. Some gnomes leapt at her from high up, and she would wave her spear to bat them out of the way, or simply gut them. There was only one place in the caves that she knew, so she ran there. By now there was a terrible noise, as all the gnomes following her were buzzing like locusts, thousands now pouring forth behind her. She ran into the room she had held her initiation in and leapt at the mandala. Fortunately, it wasn't closed, and she leapt straight through into the metaverse. Well, today we have a special treat. Instead of one of our idiot musicians slogging through some horrible modern piece of crap that nobody wants to hear, we have unearthed a rare lost recording from some time ago made by my old boyfriend. So, without further ado, here's a little time capsule from the past. Are we going to have a problem? You got a bone to pick. You've come so far, why now are you pulling on my dick? I'd normally slap your face off, and everyone here could watch. But I'm feeling nice, here's some advice. Listen up, biatch. I like looking hot, buying stuff they cannot. I like drinking hard, maxing Lloyd's credit card. I like skipping Jim, scaring her, screwing him. I like killer clothes, kicking straights in the nose. If you lack the balls, you can just play dolls. Let your mommy fix you a snack. Or you can come and smoke, pound some rum and coke. Hit my poster with my quarterback. Whoa, 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 whoa. Honey, what you waiting for? Welcome to my candy store. Time for you to prove you're not a loser anymore. Welcome to 
my candy stall. That your feet pay the check, help you cheat. All you have to do is say goodbye to Shamu. Not your friend, I can tell in the end. Had your shot, she would leave you to rot. Of course, if you don't care, find a way her hair. Maybe Sesame Street is on. Or forget that creep and get in my Jeep. Let's go tearing up someone's lawn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hardy, what you waiting for? Step into my candy store. Time for you to prove you're not a pussy anymore. To my candy, who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two. Candy man, the candy man, no, the candy man can. The candy man can. The candy man can, cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow? Dip it in a dream. Away the sorrow and collect up all the cream. The candy man. Oh, the candy man can. The candy man can. The candy man can, cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. The candy man makes everything he makes satisfying and delicious. Oh, talk about your childhood wishes. You can even eat the dishes. Ah!